0: time this week a black man is shot by a police
1: officer you know what I came to realize man It's that we ain't promised tomorrow I want to well I'm from we ain't even promised today neither to justice. my uncle always told me that we were different when I was a kid never was too sure what he meant by that until I started seeing it for myself being a black man in America can go from racial profiling which will lead to an assault by a police officer it's as if we never even existed in the first place.
2: Nearly half of America's young black men are... It's
1: behind. justified by most because of how much we be killing our own brothers. Brother. You see, we can no longer avoid the need to address us. Us.
2: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode three of the Rogues and Rosé podcast. It is Brianna Trine. And we are excited to be back for episode three. We missed you guys last week. We wanted to kind of take some time and jump into a whole new realm of topics. So this week, we have Will, who's coming back.
1: What's up, everybody? This is Will, a.k.a. Blanche Devereaux. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore S-W-O-O-O-S-H.
2: And basically today we're going to talk about the power of the educated Black man. So often our Black men kind of get this persona of either they're too smart or they're smart in the wrong ways or they don't apply, you know, the power that they have within them. They don't apply it to their lives. So we wanted to bring in a special guest, which is one of my really good friends, Jonathan. And Jonathan is going to just kind of help us work through this topic. So, hey, Jonathan, how are you?
0: How you doing, Brianna? I'm good. Uh, very humbled and thankful for you guys for having me on the show today. We,
2: we're excited to have you. You know, I think that because you're a mentor and with you having the HBCU Hub app, it will definitely give people a different side to hear it coming from you. Um, like me I can speak on what I see in black men and what I would like to see and you know things that I enjoy and things that I would love to change but I think that you speaking as a mentor and as somebody who's involved in the community it would be great for you to be able to kind of speak on this topic so I was very very happy that you were available to come be a guest on this week's episode
0: oh not a problem uh not a problem and yeah I see being um being a mentor I see it all from just the student trying to make it to the student that had to hold their brother's lifeless body inside their arms.
2: So Tell us a little bit about you. Talk about HBCU Hub, your mentorship. You know, just kind of give us some insight to who Jonathan is.
0: Jonathan is a natural misfit, a natural born misfit from (laughs) Los Angeles, California. I've always found my happy place in problem solving. I was a child that grew up, and you know we'd be sitting at a traffic light, and I'm asked my mom, you know, why don't they call cars cats? So I've always been uh, that kid. as far as HBCU Hub it's an app that's designed to help students apply, prepare, and get accepted into their dream HBCU. We've been live for about two years now, going on our third year, and we've helped um, over 17,000 students find their dream HBCU. That's
2: so dope. I am an HBCU kid, as most of you guys know. Um, Started off at Lincoln University of Missouri, which was my second college. I went to PWI first and then transitioned into the HBCU culture. And now being a student of Jackson State, the Jackson State, the I love. (laughs) You know, transitioning into the HBCU world, I kind of got a different view of black men as a whole. I think coming from St. Louis, there is just a certain culture of men that you see. And it's very hard to differentiate that when you don't get out of your city. You know, you grow up in your city and you live there for, you know, 18 years until you graduate high school and you're kind of embedded into this culture. And I will say that going to an HBCU kind of elevated my thinking. And then with that, I travel a lot. and I get to meet a lot of different people. And I've been exposed to so much more than I would have been if I would have stayed in St. Louis. So speaking on, you know, the power of the Black man, what do you guys feel like as Black men? What are you guys' the superpowers that you guys think that y'all just have? Like, what's the sauce that y'all just bring by being just these black men in America?
0: I think the sauce is our innovation. And I'm about to use a horrible example, possibly, but I think <laughs> it's one of the great examples to um, talk about the innovation of the black men. For instance, um, when cocaine came to the hood in Los Angeles, that's what a lot of people forget. Um, cocaine came inside the hood. Crack was invented by black people. Cocaine came inside the hood and um black people then made crack to flip what they were getting from a superior and get their uh get an even bigger share from it. So I think one of the superpowers of black men is that we have to survive. And when you're in, when you're in a constant mode of survival, um you have no other choice but to be innovative and outlast your circumstances.
2: I feel that. So, Will, what do you think your superpower or what do you think is just kind of like that that genesis croix about you as a black man?
1: Me personally, it's always been my, you know, blend. You know, people look at me in the way that I carry myself because I am a very functional person. You know, if you see me, I'm going to be in a hoodie and some sweatpants, some sneakers. So they look at me and they don't look twice, you know. It's not until you have an actual conversation with me, you know, oh, this little nigga does a little, little something about something. You know, they don't know that I'm educated. They don't know that. And I love to be able to shock people in a sense when they ask me, hey, who are you? Oh, I'm um, second like lieutenant Mason, United States Army. I graduated from here, here, and there. Um, and I have all these, you know, different things under my belt. So I always like to have that wow factor when I'm introducing myself to other people. And I think it's great. And I love being, you know, an African-American male and being able to present all these things about myself.
2: That's dope. Like, I got some pretty dope friends. Like, nobody can tell me anything different. I got some, I got a dope group of friends who come from all these different walks who bring these skills and assets to life in general and like Will said you can easily look at either one of you powerful men and literally look and say oh he's just another he's just another whoever you know oh you just look past him on the street but like you said when you get to delve into conversations with the both of you you learn so much um I think that there's always this idea that black men don't know as much or if he doesn't hold a degree then he's not smart so can you guys speak on a little bit of how being an educated black man does not always mean it comes with a degree or it doesn't always come from a school or a program that there are educated black men who have the street smarts who kind of have a different walk of life who are still who can, who should still be considered educated black men? Uh,
1: one of the smartest men I have ever met in my life was a drug dealer. He actually was from East St. Louis, you know, lived in Houston, but he had dropped out of out of high school, I believe, in tenth grade. But this man had made millions, and it wasn't because just like drugs, right? I mean, a lot of that was drugs. Don't get me wrong. But the way that he was able to position himself into his businesses and do more than that. So eventually he got to the point where he was able to, like, sit the down. And I know I'm supposed to say you know doing this bad, all these horrible things. Baby, if you got me living like Oprah, sign me up. But he was just so impressive in the way that he was able to carry himself and, you know, motivate me in a sense not to do the you know, not to blame that hard white, but to promote myself in a way that I can do this, this, and this for myself.
0: I would uh, definitely agree with that. And to kind of back up what you said, Will, one of the smartest people that I've ever met before um, was a drug dealer as well. And being, uh, for some reason in our society, you know, because we have these certain laws and, you know, certain beliefs as a society, as a whole, we think that there's a huge difference between Freeway Ricky Morris and um, Steve Jobs, when one of them just sold computers, and the other one sold kilos. You know, being at any capacity, managing a million dollar budget takes some type of smarts, takes some type of um, know-how, and a lot of in society, you know, where you see people that went to jail for drug dealing or they went to jail for laundering money or something like that. We just write them off and think, oh, they're stupid because they didn't get a degree and they didn't do this and they didn't do that. But they still ran a multi-million dollar organization. And that's a and that's something that a lot of people can't say they've done themselves.
1: Exactly. I mean, it's, it's always been like, they take the things that we do and they glorify it in all the rap songs and they listen to all our music clips. As soon as the conviction is upheld, you know, then they look at us like, oh, well, you know, he is a problem to society or something like that. Well, they don't realize that this man actually built the company from the ground up. He had to manage people the same way that you did. He had to pay people the same way that you did. He had to worry about his inventory, his product. and have to worry about quality the same way that these people did in their corporations like Steve Jobs. You know, Apple. Ain't nothing but a drug anyway. But as soon as they release another seventeen hundred dollar iPhone, I'm gonna be the first person in line.
0: But you know, it, it looked
1: at differently when
0: we do it. Right. It's it's definitely looked at differently. And um, talking about looked at differently, you kind of see it now, even with uh, the medical marijuana business just booming. Like, it's people sitting behind bars right now because they had the same idea. They had the same exact business model that these now wealthy white white men that were lobbying for uh, them to say, you know, for the uh, war on drugs, that they were lobbying for all of this stop and frisk, these um, laws that hurt the Black men. They're getting paid off of this same exact stuff. They're doing literally the same exact thing, and they're making billions off of it while our brothers and sisters rot in jail when they had the same business model.
1: Man, this whole, the whole medical marijuana industry, it just, it it caught me off guard, man, the way that it blew up. We already knew the effects of marijuana. We've been there. We've done that. But for to see these white people profit the way that they are, and just turn a blind eye to everyone that, you know, the pioneers of this industry. All these people who are locked up and incarcerated now, it's out like, they they have to sit there and hear about this and watch this. Watch these people. Oh, it's legal in this state now. Okay. But what about me, damn it? And they have to sit there. and That's, that's wild, man. I would have burned the prison down by now had I been locked up over a gram of weed.
2: So do you okay so speaking to the younger guys because Jonathan you mentor and will you have a son you know speaking to kind of the young guys and there there are a lot of different images that they see you know we follow people on social media and we look at the news and there's this idea of black men that they are all dangerous they should not be trusted um if you if you behave a certain way, then you're automatically put into this box. You know, we see it all the time where just recently there was a thing on Facebook where a young black boy, his backpack brushed up against the uh, older white woman and she called the police and said that he tried to sexually assault her. And just situations like that, like how do you guys speak to your mentees and how do you speak to your son in a way that you're like, okay, you, you now have to behave differently. You now have to think, more than twice you know it used to just be be safe be smart you know but it's like now every little thing that you guys do or may say is taken as aggression and it's taken as from a bad and angry place so what what do you guys give to your mentees and to you know your son and to the young guys around you because well you also have little brothers how does that translate when you're trying to kind of raise up young black men in this generation
1: I've always told my little brothers, be aware of how your actions are perceived. You know, you may have the best intentions, or You know, everything may be innocent, but if someone sees it as a threat to them, you have to be aware of that. And, you know, you don't want to live in fear, but you also want to live, if that makes any kind of sense. Because a lot of these things, With with the white lady and the young black kid. Not long ago, there was Emmett Till where he was getting, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things done to him just because, you know, allegedly he whistled at a white woman. This kid, this child has a backpack and he's trying to, you know, ease through you in a bodega. Of course, he's going to have some kind of contact with you. You know this little baby has no more intent on harming you, honey. He just wants a honey bun in Arizona. That is it. So I tell my little brothers all the time, you have to be aware of how your actions are saying. And I hate that it has to be done because I can guarantee you that some of the races, they don't have to have these conversations. They don't have to warn their children on how to be adults.
0: Oh, uh, definitely. Um, Other races don't have to warn their children. But uh, when speaking to my young mentees, uh, even my young uh Nieces and nephews. More importantly, I'm I'm honest with them. I tell them that you know you're black. You play by a totally different set of rules. And especially being a black man, it was actually a student at this past expo, and he asked, "What's the biggest difference between high school and college?" And I told him, you know, as a black man one of the biggest differences between high school and college is that once you walk across that stage at graduation, the world becomes a lot colder. The world stops caring about you. It, as a black man, once you turn around 13, the world stops caring about you. But once you turn 18, it's official. The world um, no longer cares. And I tell my mentees, you know, this is a certain coldness um, that you're gonna have to live with and that you're gonna to have to expect. And as Will said, that you're always going to have to be aware. Your intent does not matter. I mean, it was guys just sitting at Starbucks and they got the police called on this. Your intent does not matter. You have to understand that you as a black man are going to make other races around you uncomfortable at times. And sometimes it's your job to make sure they're comfortable just so you're safe for your own being. And that's something you have to keep in mind. It's not fair the life isn't there and you have to you have to deal with it because you don't want to be a uh, another victim that we see on the news
2: because I have a little brother and you know when everything was happening so before Mike Brown everything happened everywhere else but St. Louis you know it, it just happened everywhere else so we would kind of have the conversation but it really wouldn't go in depth and then when it happened in St. Louis you're now faced with a place that you know, a place that you've driven by, a place that you're kind of familiar with, you know, that quick trip down the street, you know, that target up the street, you know, you know, that park that's right around the corner. Now I have to explain to him what happened there. And there are so many questions like, well, what did he do? You know, because in their eyes, especially for Miles at that time, he was in elementary school. So it's like, if the police shoot you, you did something, you know? And then now now you have to kind of have this understanding that you can do nothing and be looked at as a target or you can be looked at as threatening. And I think that kind of goes back to the power of the black man. You know, black men are so powerful and there is something about you. There is something that is just within your essence. And I think it's that King presence, it is that power it is just that golden touch that you all have as leaders of the world that scares the shit out of people you know it scares white men because they think they're powerful but they became powerful by taking power from other people black men have this natural ability to be powerful to be great so like you said take something small and innovate it and making it making it into something huge and making industries and making inventions and making processes move differently and move faster that that is threatening to somebody who can never take that away because it's a birthright and i think that especially once people listen to this podcast i encourage if you know a Black man, if, you, if you're if you raising a Black man, if you're dating a Black man, if you're married to one, if your dad is one, if you just even walk past one, recognize his power, but also know that it is a birthright and it's something that you can't take away. And it's not threatening. The innovations that Black men come up with help everybody. You know, think back to... In slavery where before they came and got slaves they had to do everything themselves they even had the wives and the babies out there trying to get the soil together black men came through and was plowing through it in minutes what took them hours you know you guys bring this physical sense you guys bring a different type of mental stimulation you guys are able to be like okay we can go one through ten but we can also go one, five, seven, and then hit 10 a whole lot faster. Let's, let's just move it along. And I think that that is threatening, because other people don't have that natural ability. But I also think that it can be, it has to be brought back, it has to be nurtured, it has to be something that's cared about. And I think both of you guys represent that in your lives. So my next question would be, what do you guys, especially in media, you know, in music, on TV and the things that we see on social media, what are things that you guys think should be focused on more or should be brought more to the forefront as brought, as in speaking about the power of the Black man?
0: Something that I think uh, isn't showcased a lot when we're in regards to Black men, and I just may be saying this, I may be biased because I'm a, a black startup entrepreneur, but I don't think um we empower black ownership a lot. You know, Jay Z had said it in the uh four 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 album that he was giving away million dollar game for nine ninety nine and it's so many uh it's so many people that got upset. You know, if you look at, if you look at a lot of Black society, is about signing the quote-unquote deal, not being the person that gives the deal. And then once we do have um, Black people that build up their own platform or, you know, their own company or even organization, other Black people then are looking for discounts on services or they're looking for uh something that can aid them as opposed to just helping the business that is owned. And I think that's something within the black community that uh, just isn't praised enough. Floyd Mayweather, I like Floyd Mayweather, but he is somebody that irks my soul to death because this man is a billionaire, but has done nothing. He, you see him sitting on the, um, you see him sitting courtside at the Laker game with about twelve chains on. That's a whole neighborhood in Africa. Like that's a whole that that's gonna turn on that's gonna help um that's gonna help the water in Flint, Michigan. Why did it take Elon Musk to go out and help Flint Michigan? Uh just the use of platforms that black men have, I don't think is always utilized to their best ability. You know, they they get they get their fish and then they don't teach um People coming up, how to fish. They just rather give them some fish.
1: I understand that. And touching on on media, the black man has never actually been portrayed well in the media. You know, we've had to set through that bullshit, which was Frank Mitchell, Alicia said, and the wretch that he was. Um, You know, good times. You know, we've always been seen as an angry person, or, you know, we're very threatening in how we present ourselves to our family. So, I would like to see us portray better in that light, Because right now, all this is the love hip hop, or we got to see Ray J or Safari with his shirt off every 30 seconds. I, mean, I would like to see BET transition that back into a station of work, watching. You know, um, Francesca West, she does all these great things for the African American you know, culture where she talks about, you know, spiritual healing, mental health, all this kind of stuff. Give her a segment, Lena Wade, all these people who are actually promoting positivity in our community. We can do that. We don't need to see Bellinis being thrown every Sunday night. We just don't. So I would like, you know, these, these people more aware, because we have children watching. They shouldn't be watching that. What they are and what are they going to do see on the tv that's a shame because it's going to create a cycle which it has because i talked for a year and i had a girl tell me she wants to be erica menis when she grew up i guess that was gross but i would definitely like us to be more aware of that and going back to you know Floyd Mayweather he he's just an idiot bless
0: his heart. I think he got knocked around too much. He got CTE. I'm talking about uh, media and how black men are portrayed. Uh, Something that's super important that I think a lot of people don't focus on when um, Ronald Reagan came into office, he had signed a bill that allowed you to own multiple uh, news outlets. So before Ronald Reagan came in, if you owned a, um, Radio station, you can only own the radio station. If you own the newspaper, you can only own the newspaper. But he allowed it to be vertical integration, so that truly allowed those people in power to now really push their agenda. So it's it's so hard to fight against loving hip-hop shows and you know all the crazy stuff that really promote black people in a bad light because it's a legisl- it's legislation in place to ensure that this systematic oppression can continue and like you said create that cycle over and over again they have legislation in place saying if you have the money you could own cnn um vibe magazine and BET it could all be owned by the same exact person and if you're that person that owns that you have a platform to push whatever agenda you want because it's a huge platform
1: you know what would be great that would probably never happen if we just said no you know these people have to know what they're signing up for they're signing up for mess for people to see them or you know Associate black people with mess, with drama. What happens if we just say no? Hell no. Uh Uh-uh, girl. I'm interested in, uh, you know, a major role, how to get away with murder. Well, put me on jeopardy. But just go over here myself? No. Because all these people, they just want their check.
0: But also, what happens when you say no? You get blackballed. You get blackballed um, from the industry. Monique is never going to work again, period. Now, I think what Monique did did was amazing because she made the price tag of Tiffany Haddish go up dramatically to ensure that she was paid the right amount of money. But the second you say no, your career is done. Those gateholders have everything in check. So not only is it I'm trying to get my check, but I'm also not trying to um, fuck myself out of a check that could be coming down the line as well, just because I'm trying to take a stand. I mean, you saw what happened to Colin Kaepernick. Anytime you want to voice your opinion, oh, okay, cool. We will shut all of this now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely feel you on that. It's it kind of, uh, you know, that's kind of a sticky situation. In Monique's case, yeah, I, I don't believe she will ever get a, a role worthwhile again. But on the opposite hand, you know, Colin Kaepernick, he, he he made his stand. And while he won't, probably won't play another NFL game, he's still getting his coin. I'm kind of problematic when it comes to the whole Colin Kaepernick uh, situation. I support him 100%. But if we're be being totally honest, he was the mid-quarterback
0: at best. Right. And if we're also being totally honest, Will, um, it's to the point where, you know, people are still fighting for Colin Kaepernick to come back in the league. And if you, like, ever played football, watched football, you know, uh, been involved in any type of physical activity, he hasn't done this for about a couple years now. You know, it's been a few years. So, Maybe the fight for Colin to come back in the NFL should kind of slow down because he's doing so much great work outside of the NFL. And once you get thrown into that, back into that game, it's just a whole other world. And the last thing that the black community wants is for Colin to get back into the NFL and then be trashed. That would just demoralize. Because
1: then the story would go from, you know, oh, everyone wanted him to get a job and now he failed. So that will overshadow what he's done for the past three years. And that would, you know, set us back.
2: I agree. I think that when it comes to, you know, Colin Kaepernick, if he goes back into football, my fear is what happens to all of the activism? You know, like, does that just go away? Because football season is tough. You know, they're on workouts. They got training. They got videos. They got promo. They got a lot to do. So what happens with all this activism? I personally don't want to see him back in a football uniform on a field. I would like to see him continue to take this legacy so much further and birth the new civil rights movement for the millennial generation and for Generation X so that it can be something different. Um, I think he's done a great job, you know, kind of promoting himself and getting out there. And like we'll say, he's been getting his coin. Nike been paying him regardless. He's still been collecting his checks and he was smart with his money. So I think that with with taking a stand, it does come with a financial deficit because you're now going against the grain and against the people who sign your checks. But I also think that it's so worth it to make that happen. Um, You know, as we kind of wrap up this conversation, I do want to thank the both of you for kind of stepping into the robes and rosé podcast you know normally our previous two episodes have been really fun you know very goofy we've had some really really good jokes we've been talked a whole lot of shit but conversations like this have to be had and I'm glad that now having a podcast and being able to control the content is something really that I've always wanted to do and I look at it as such a blessing and I want to thank the both of you for being available, for making the time out of your schedules, for taking time away from, I'm sure, a million other things you could be doing and stepping into the Robes and Rosé podcast to just kind of bring some light, you know, to the idea of the powerful Black man and all that he represents. And I can't wait, you know, so people can hear this and kind of respond to us and kind of give us some feedback.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. Thank you all for having me. I just want to bring attention to uh, the fact that Steve Urkel was a guest on Family Matters, and then he ended up being the star. I've had a lot of guest (laughs) appearances. So, listeners, listeners, hit the Rose and Rose podcast Instagram. Let them know. Go ahead and give me a staff position.
0: Uh, Definitely. Um, Thank you for for having me. Like I said, it was a, a real humbling experience, and I think what you said, Brianna, was so important. Controlling the content i think that's why um, what you're doing is so so important because you're controlling the content and you're creating a platform to control the narrative and show our young black brothers and sisters in a positive light and i think that's super important
2: it is and thank you guys make sure that you guys go on podcast.com that's where all of our episodes are hosted also follow us on instagram at robesandrosépodcast check out will and i as well And we're excited to have you guys. And also, make sure you go into your Android Play Store or your Apple App Store and download HBCU Hub to get perfectly matched with your perfect HBCU. Have a good night, y'all.